everybody, and welcome to the Busted Business Bureau. I'm so excited about today's episode. As always, this podcast is produced by the Lincoln Lodge. Give them all your money. Today's guest is a dear, dear friend of mine. I've known you for years. You could catch him in the Trigger Happy Cast at the Annoyance on Wednesdays at 9.30 and an upcoming anti-capitalist musical is how it was pitched to me. That's what it is. <laughs> it is my good friend, Ari Levin. Yay! Yeah! Hey, Christian. Hi, Ari. What's up? I just had brunch at Dove's. Oh my God, I love that establishment. It's a great, great restaurant, and they take care of their people there. Yeah, the guy was like, do you want iced or hot tea? And I was like, iced. And he goes, I have the perfect thing. Yeah. <laughs> he invented iced tea. Yeah, he wicked his mustache and said, you're, you're going to be blown away. <laughs> That's literally how it went. <laughs> Today's episode is going to be about Ponzi schemes. It's going to be about the eponymous Ponzi scheme, Charles Ponzi, the Charles Ponzi Security Exchange Company, which I implore you, dear listener, to understand before going into any of this podcast that Charles Ponzi was hot. Okay, (laughs) I need you to understand that. Let's get this straight, guys. He was a he was a beautiful, beautiful person. A fucking baddie, yeah. if you will. Yeah. He could get it. He to this day yeah. can get it. Maybe I'm revealing the excess of my sexual perversion mm-hmm. by admitting how hot I find. Charles Homeboy Ponzi. could like get it. My God, is that an understatement? Is that still uh, a valid reference? Home- Bella Hadid? No. Okay. I mean, I understood what you were talking yeah, about. No, if, but yeah, even if it wasn't necessarily topical. Homeboy could get it. <laughs> but. Before we talk about the uh, Charles Ponzi Security Exchange Company, I want to know, Ari, what's your relationship with Ponzi schemes? Do you know any? Do you have a favorite one? Yeah, I do actually love Ponzi schemes. Um, (laughs) Name five of their albums. uh, (laughs) Reeling in the Years, (laughs) Beverly Hills. Ooh, that was important. Those are good ones, right? Real good albums. What I know about Ponzi schemes, obviously, is like Bernie Madoff is the biggest one Mm -hmm. um, for being such a prolific and horrible exposure to... uh, like Ponzi schemes and stealing people's money. Yeah. I know the first Ponzi scheme was invented by a woman, which is girl bossing to the extreme. Do you mean Sarah Howe? Yes, Sarah Howe. Do you think she, I, was she the first one? That's what I've heard. I've I heard feel she like was, was like the first the, big one in the US. Probably, there hadn't been like thousands before. Like, yeah. Like, you know, guys selling elixirs on the side of the street. <laughs> it, 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 it's <laughs> like, you know, like, like I've got something that's going to cure your hepatitis and your wife. Like, <laughs> that's what they used to do, right? I've never heard a more historical description of that history. had to have been like a similar like grifter Ponzi scheme early yes. early days stuff. But yeah, Sarah Howe invented a bank for women and then would pay new investors with or pay old investors like returns with the money from new investors. That was literally the whole thing. And when people found out that that's what she was doing, they're like, "This is why we can't trust women with money because this is like 1800s." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> she set feminism back single handedly by like a hundred years, and it was so girl boss of her. Yeah. If she did it today, there there would be hell to pay. There would be BuzzFeed listicles saying like, "What part of the Sarah Howe trial do you most identify mm-hmm. with?" Yeah. <laughs> Um, I will say, I, that those aren't my favorites, but that's what I know. My favorite one is in 1997, a Ponzi scheme, which there's some debate about the cause of which led to the downfall of the country of Albania. <laughs> so in 1997, Albania had a civil war, and I could be wrong, but I believe it, that the pyramid scheme that major politicians had embezzled money into from the, gov- the country uh-huh. was coming from a major record label producer for the boy band craze of the 90s. Dear listener, I need you to know that Ari's wearing a shirt that says, I heart Albania. Yeah. <laughs> and 
Wh- like, what was the, um, was it like a banking scheme or a product scheme? Like an MLM or like what, it, what it, was the scheme? Banking scheme. Banking so it was scheme, entirely okay. investing money from the government in this Into... entertainment industry in oh. the United States, among other places, but yeah. part of like, I'd say, uh, 23, 30% of the GDP of Albania was in, was invested <laughs> in this pyramid scheme, which led to a major civil war in the 90s, which was like a related to a lot of the other Balkan uprisings and, and revolutions. So uh, good good on them. And, I'm fucking gobsmacked yeah, at the moment. And bad on boy band producer. What is, is he Albanian? No, no, but he had connections to Albanian politicians. Huh. Yeah. You know, I think at the time, and again, I'm, this is speculation. I don't know. You're allowed to be wrong yeah. on this podcast. I'm yeah. not, but you are. <laughs> yeah. So um, speculation. But when God created the universe, he <laughs> first looked at like, what couldn't, I'm just kidding. Okay, so, when he, when the Iron Curtain fell mm-hmm. and Eastern Europe was a little bit more open to the free market capitalism, whatever, there are a lot of people who are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So I believe this individual, and I, I wish I knew his name. Yeah, I'll look we it can up. Google it. Why not? He, he's in, he's, he died in federal prison eh, not too long ago for being in the, the, the kingpin of this Ponzi scheme. Lou Perlman? Yes. I was, right. Okay, so I was, when we were at brunch, I was going to say Ron Perlman, but it was not. <laughs> it was not Ron Perlman. <laughs> he was not. Hellboy. Okay. Well, let me get that straight. Don't get it twisted, dear listener. Ron Perlman's a good guy. <laughs> Lou Perlman, not so Lou much. Lou Perlman, his little brother. No. 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 <laughs> Lou per- no relation. He's he, the bad man. He's canceled. <laughs> We've done it. Wow. Yeah. Ooh. He like he yeah. kickstarted the careers of like an in sync. Yeah. 93 98 degrees. 93 degrees. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That is crazy. That I you have quite a Wikipedia rabbit hole to go in it my is friends. incredible the tangled web that uh, uh we can we can build in these in, in these days in these days <laughs> yeah well you know what back in the olden days they were also able to build webs in different ways this is going to oh <laughs> what a segue many well, look at that look at, it's my fucking podcast Whoa. i could be as bad at segues as i want or as good at them <laughs> this is going to be the most narrative episode of the busted business bureau because once i started looking into charles ponzi and falling in love with him uh, I decided that it could not go without saying his entire life story. So the namesake of the Ponzi schemes. Again, picture this the entire time. Hot. Oh, I have pictures for you. I know you're looking up a picture right now. And he he's so hot. I'm I, have looking, so many- I just Googled Charles Ponzi shirtless. <laughs> um, I didn't. Nothing came up. But Sad. So I'm aided in great part by Mitchell Zirkoff's book, Ponzi Scheme, The True Story of a Financial Legend. You might notice that the book's title skews kind of reverent, whereas his Wikipedia page is like, Charles Ponzi's an Italian swindler. Swindler versus financial legend. Uh, that's the line that we're right. telling here. I kind of tend more towards financial legend. <laughs> and he's, a, he's, a, he's a pillar in the community of, mm-hmm. of finance. Yes. Yeah. Where would we be without him? I, th- that's a great question. I would have nothing to think about at three in the morning were it never Charles Ponzi. <laughs> <laughs> so keep the year 1920 in mind. That's going to be the pinnacle year of Charles Ponzi's life. So it's about 100 years ago. That's th- what we're barreling towards throughout this entire narrative is the year 1920. Sometimes when I think about dates yeah. in the past, I just like forget about it in relation yeah. is to... Is that significant because of like World War One, or because of some like... Well, it was right after a pandemic. 
Oh, the Spanish flu. Yeah. Oh my god. I know. Crazy. But it's also just like the year where every like all the shit went down with Charles yeah. Ponzi. So like that's what we're barreling towards. But I'm gonna start with his fucking birth. That's in, like Roaring Twenties stuff. It's Roaring Twenties like, stuff. Leading yeah. to the Great Depression, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Get ready, listener. You don't even know what's coming. <laughs> Ever I, heard of the Great can Depression? Can I do that? Can I do that? Can I talk you directly can. to the listener? You can. Listen, listener. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna take you on a little wild ride right now. Okay. March third, eighteen eighty two. Carlo Pietro Giovanni Guglielmo. Blando Ponzi is born. He's a Pisces. Wow. Isn't that so hot? Yeah. He's an only child living in Lugio or Lugo um, in Italy with his dad and his mom, Imelda. He's a huge mama's boy. Ugh. I know. Same. <laughs> and her family, uh, Imelda's family was descended from the Duchy of Parma or something. I feel like I'm just making up syllables. But Whoa. They at one point were aristocratic but had fallen on hard times around the time that Charles Ponzi was born and they were solidly middle class his dad was a postman I don't believe she worked and they got by eventually he's in school they realize he's a pretty smart kid and send him to private boarding school which I know nobody cares about but I do because I uh am just interested in every single detail about him and and we love <laughs> private boarding schools we here. love private boarding schools yeah. <laughs> when he was away this is around high school his dad tragically passed away pretty young and he left behind a small inheritance. This inheritance was enough to send Ponzi to college. Wow. And enough to make him hot. And enough to make him hot. Yeah. Everyone that I know with inheritance, they mm. can get the skin care. They can get all the workout routines they need. Oh, my God. I have so much to talk to you about skin later. Really? In the story, yeah. Oh. <laughs> so he goes away to college. The book goes into great de- detail describing his friendships with a bunch of other like rich college boys. Growing up as a working class fella, he was trying to like fit in and he would just blow all of his money all the time in college. Did not, he was like a smart guy, but he did not do amazing in college. I don't even think he graduated. I think he ran out of money at some point and just did not graduate. So, he, okay, let me get this right. He's hot and relatable because he spends all his money? Yeah. Wow. Ponzi did, this is a, a quote from the book that I had mentioned, Zirkov's book. Quote, Ponzi did everything he could to emulate his friends, adopting their manners and especially their spending habits. Their funds seemed limitless, so he dug even deeper into his fast-winning inheritance to dress in the latest European fashions or pick up restaurant tabs for his friends and the pretty girls they met. Young, naive, half-drunk, and reckless with money, Ponzi also made an appealing mark, like for people to, you know, steal from him. Quote, at dawn, he would trudge to his room to sleep, and then the cycle would begin again. Oh, my God. <laughs> so relatable. Whoa. <laughs> That's his staying ethos in Ponzi's life. He loves spending money on other people. It's his favorite thing. Even though he doesn't have a ton of money, he just wants generous. to be this. Generous. Okay, hot, relatable, generous. Yes. Yeah. He was afraid that he super disappointed his mother in college, because he did. Oh. <laughs> he was... Uh, Chucky. Yeah, poor, poor Chucky. So he felt like he had to uh, make up for himself, become successful, carry on the family legacy of, I don't know, aristocracy and power and whatever. So he decides to head to the U.S. of A. The streets are paved with gold, excited to make some money. I want to describe to you the trip that he took. It took two weeks by boat back in the this early 1903 mm. to get to the U.S. of A. What do you think the conditions were like on a boat like that in 1903? So he's probably going steerage, which <laughs> if I know what that means, he's traveling with the, the cattle, yeah. right? He's probably hanging out with a couple of pigs. It, is it that cost, right? It cost him $25, and this is, once again, from Zirkov, quote, Toilets were nearby, overused, and poorly ventilated. Within a few days at sea, the air in the steerage reeked of vomit and waste. Oh, hell yeah. Passengers lolled in a seasick stupor on mattresses made from burlap bags filled with seaweed, using life preservers as pillows. Ponzi spent the passage continuing his college ways, buying drinks, and gallantly tipping waiters. Oh, wow. <laughs> hey, baby, you want to go back to my seaweed-infested bed? <laughs> 
I got a nice little burlap sack we can snuggle in. That's what that's Charles. That's Charles speaking through me. I it's don't know. Literally, yeah. he's seaweed and chill. Yeah, you know, that's fun. Between 1903, he, so he lands in the U.S. in 1903, does not speak a word of fucking English. He only speaks Italian. Hot, too. So yeah. hot. Hot, rich, can't speak English, so he's dumb hot. <laughs> well, just because he doesn't speak English doesn't mean... Do you mean, like, dumb hot, like he's crazy hot? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like crazy hot. No, I wasn't... I don't, yeah, no, I was he's like, a genius, by the way. Yeah, yeah he went to boarding school. <laughs> Between 1903 and 1907, he spent time doing, like, menial jobs in the U.S. He was picking up English as, like, a busboy or a grocery clerk, a road drummer. Uh, quote, one time in New York, he saved a bit of money, but blew it all in a two-week spree at Coney Island. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Every new sentence in this book is, like, a new reason why I'm obsessed with Charles Ponzi. Do you understand? I cannot recommend this fucking book enough. I feel like this is another example of a, and, you know, take this how you will, mm-hmm. of a man failing up. Just a man yeah. continuously failing up and he doesn't, by no control or input of his own, he's successful. He does work hard. I will say in the U.S. he works hard yeah, as like a grocery. Spunky. He's spunky. Yeah. He is spunky yeah. and has a, work ethic is maybe a big word for it because he does enjoy more than anything not working. Yeah. But he knows he needs to make money somehow and so he shows up at least. Does it say what he spent his money on Coney Island? Just curious. Like what did he spend it on? Just the shit you do at Coney Island. It just yeah. said it also said girls. Oh, <laughs> he okay. just enjoys like buying stuff so, you know, in a romantic way, obviously, but also just he just enjoys buying stuff for people. Wow. I love that. I know. He is a hero. We're we're romanticizing him. Absolutely. Right? Okay, oh yeah. Great. I've great. I've no doubt in my mind. I just want to make sure we're aligning just, him as yeah. he's the hero of this story. Absolutely. Cool. He gets tired of living in the US and he doesn't really grow into any meaningful work opportunities. So he doesn't necessarily fail upwards. He fails laterally. <laughs> uh, scratch that from the record, guys. <laughs> I was wrong again. And he wants a vehicle to get rich because he wants to like, you know, uh, he cares about his mom and all the family stuff that we yeah, of had course. talked about. Yeah. So he decides to just go to Canada. He has no plan, no friends there, just vibes. Heads to Montreal and stumbles on a bank with the name Zarassi. And he's like, holy shit, I'm Italian too. And Zarassi, that's an Italian Hell yeah. Again, this is 1907. He walks into the bank, gets a job as a clerk within five minutes because he's so charming and is bilingual at this point. And he has rakish charm. That's how I described it. Oh, like, <laughs> like Aragorn when he enters in the, the halls of Rohan. Or Helm's Deep, and he's like, "I'm here to say." That's that's why I imagine he walks into the Zerosi bank. Something, you know what so I mean? Deep inside me. I had this like dream in middle school of just like being covered in w- rainwater and busting through the the, the doors of <gasps> of Mayfield Middle School, just blowing through <laughs> it like Aragorn. <laughs> You're, I, I'm getting a little hot and heavy. I have to move on. Okay, <laughs> understandable. I'm getting a little flustered over here. <laughs> yeah, Mika Mortensen, call my number. What what is important about this Zarasi Bank is it was also running a Ponzi scheme. Obviously not called a Ponzi scheme at the time. Uh, it's called a robbing Peter to pay Paul. Have you heard that expression? Yeah. 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 I've heard a lot. So they're running a Peter-Paul scheme. There's a nearby bank that promises like a 3% annual return on investment or whatever. And this bank, Zarasi, is promising 6%, which mm. is fucking crazy. Right. <laughs> annual return, 6%? 6%. Yeah. That's incredible. And so he's doing this uh, clearly by... Uh, doing it in a, in a Ponzi schemey way. He is promising 6% returns. This is a quote from the book. Quote, or, I'm sorry. Most of his clientele are Italians that are sending money back home to their families. Also, you can set something down on that table. It's not going to bang. It's just this table. All right. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That was my Waluigi. <laughs> so he starts dipping into the funds of immigrants sending money back to Italy to pay old investors who are like withdrawing their oh. investments. Yeah, that's, a, that's smart. 
And this is how it's described in the book. Quote, Zarasi began dipping into those funds, the funds of Italian immigrants, knowing it would be weeks or months before word got back to Montreal that they had never that the money had never arrived. He would buy more time by claiming he had sent the money and that the fault rested with the mails or whoever was receiving the money in Italy. If a depositor raised a stink, the bank would send money fresh from its like fresh deposits. Zarasi figured the cycle of finger pointing and late payments could keep the scheme afloat long enough for him to come up with like another way to pay. Wow. If that <laughs> failed, he would have enough time to gather his profits and his family and flee. <laughs> Which, uh, then that happens. <laughs> they figure out that it's a scheme. Oh my God. Ponzi's a manager at this bank because he and Zarasi are like tight. They're, they're friends. And also he's like good at his job. It is, I should be clear. He is good at his bank job. Yeah, he's hot and he's good at his job, guys. Stop asking. <laughs> <laughs> People catch wind of Zarasi's scheme. And Charles Ponzi was 26 years old at this time. Okay. Zarasi flees by himself and doesn't take his family. You know what Charles Ponzi does? Spends the next few months taking care of Zarasi's family. Like his wife and his four no. daughters. Well, he's an actual hero. Yeah. I thought we were like like joking around. This guy stole a bunch of money. No, he's a good person. He, he did it because he had no romantic, Ugh. according to everything I was able to find, no romantic connection to Zarasi's wife or any. There but was they, also they helped set him up, right? You think about like the yeah. Zarasi family, like they gave him a job. Yeah. They gave him a they place him in a new country. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know anybody. He just knows this Italian bank. Mm -hmm. And so he figures it's the right thing to do to take care of him for a while. Again, 26 years old. And good moral compass yeah yeah so he does that for a little bit but he's you know not all that wealthy because the bank had closed <laughs> and so he's like ah geez i gotta go back to the united states i'm sorry y'all like i assume we set them up somehow or he just said goodbye it's not really clear in the book <laughs> but by 1908 he's unable to take care of a family of one two three four five six fearing that he might face arrest or deportation deportation because he doesn't have citizenship in canada he fucks off but before he goes he literally goes to a former Zarasi customer's office. No one's in there. He finds a checkbook and writes himself a check for $400, a meaty sum yeah. at the time. You might think, okay, slay, that's how he's going to go back to the U.S., by just like cashing in this check from a customer and fucking off. No. Quote, he went from store to store buying suits, <laughs> an overcoat, a pair of boots, and a watch and a chain. He completed the spree with $32 worth of shirts, collars, cuffs, ties, and suspenders from a men's clothing store and does not get on a train. <laughs> and so they find him because he just blew <laughs> a bunch of money on a, shopping money, yeah. Yeah, on a shopping spree from like a forged check. And the police almost immediately catch one that is him. There's a detective McCall who asks him a bunch of questions like, hey, this customer noticed like $400 missing from their account. Was that you? Also, he was going by Charles Bianchi at this time. I think he had wanted an alias. I don't know why he wanted an alias. He's going by Bianchi. Well, it doesn't matter. He was stealing money. Yeah. Okay, so uh, this is simultaneously, he has a good moral compass. Mm -hmm. But then also, he is a bad man. Quote, when Detective McCall first confronted Ponzi, the detective asked if his name was Bianchi. Ponzi said, no, his name was Clement. A lie. Whoa. McCall then identified himself as a detective. Before McCall could say anything more, Ponzi sighed, I'm guilty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Ponzi. Yeah. This is his mugshot because he went to prison in Montreal uh, for a few years. Honestly, it's a hot era that he's Whoa. in. I know. Okay. Reader, I'll put pictures on Instagram, I promise you. Listen to me, reader. You have to look at this Instagram right now. Yeah. Open up your phone at midnight. <laughs> light a candle. Get some whiskey. Just enjoy the... Little little things in life. Dip like, into the bath. Yeah, this is a bad boy's mugshot. You know it. <laughs> Ponzi then spends two years in Montreal prison. It was supposed to be three, but he's left off early. He's let off early because they all like love him there. He works his way up to be like the warden's clerk at the prison because he's charming and good at numbers and typing and does stuff without mm. raising a stink about it. I'd love to go more into it, but it literally doesn't matter. But it does matter that he went to prison in Canada and it comes back later. But 
It doesn't matter. So he has like a, a criminal record then. Yeah. Okay. 1910, he goes back to the U.S. and he helps five Italian immigrants, none of whom spoke English, get across the border back into the U.S. None of them are citizens. Charles is also not a citizen of the U.S. They're caught by the cops and the U.S. Border Patrol agents coerce the other men into giving up Ponzi in exchange for their freedom. So he goes back to prison for two years for helping out like five Italian dudes get back across the border. So then he's sent to Alabama to serve another prison sentence, which sucks. He's blowing his 20s in prison. It's like unfortunate. Not blowing, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, wasting away. He's spending his 20s. No one wants to spend their 20s. His hottest years. (laughs) Don't worry. He'll get hotter. What? (laughs) Don't you worry. He befriended the guards so much that they bought him a drink in the train car on the way to prison. Of the experience, he says, quote, since it had to be a cage, it might as well be a gilded cage. Wow. Yeah. That's Mm. my man. My man. man! Yeah, Chucky P. When he leaves in 1912, he's 30. He has now crossed the threshold of 30. He lost four years to prison and he was determined to never go back. Let's talk about the skin thing. <laughs> Can we if, talk about the skin thing? If we must. The skin thing. 1912, he's somewhere in the South working as a nurse nearby a uh, coal mine because he, he, do you need a fucking medical degree? Apparently not. <laughs> to, work, to work as a nurse at a nearby whatever it is. Yeah. It's like what? Like 1930s you said? Uh, this is 1912. Oh yeah. So it's all amputations back then, right? I mean, yeah. it's it, it kind of is what it is. seems to be the vibe. And in, let's see, October of 1912, there's a woman named Pearl Gossett, who's a nurse at the, the place, the fucking coal mine. October of 1912, she was cooking a patient's meal when gas, the gasoline stove burst into flames, leaving her with severe burns on her left arm, <sighs> shoulder, and breast. Ponzi's occasional work as a nurse brought him into contact, and he inquired about her condition. He, like, knew who she was. They weren't romantically involved. He just, like, knew her around. And they said, the condition is desperate. Gangrene is setting in. Ponzi asked if there was anything that could be done to help her. Skin grafting, perhaps, the doctor said. 1912. Keep that in mind. Also, oh, God, I didn't mention the most important part. Charles Ponzi is five foot two. Oh, short king alert. Short king alert. He's short king five alert. foot wee woo. two. Wee-woo, wee-woo, wee-woo. <laughs> Pick me up, put me on the table. It's a short king alert. <laughs> he is five foot two, and the doctor says we need to do skin grafting. The doctor said, quote, I wanted to try it, but I can't find anyone who will give as little as like an inch of skin for her. Ponzi did not know Gossett well, but others had told him how caring she was. Hearing the doctor say she might die, at the minimum lose her arm, made my blood sizzle, Ponzi said. It didn't seem fair that a young girl like Pearl should be permitted to die such a horrible death. That girl had been so kind to her patients, it seemed inconceivable that she should be met with such ingratitude. He then donates 70 inches of skin from his thighs and back. To <laughs> Ew. Brother, please. No. What do you mean no? My brother oh, in Christ. My brother in Christ. He is saving this woman's life. What are you doing that reaction for? So much of your skin on a, a stranger, ostensibly, right? Yes. This is what I have an issue with Charles Ponzi. Okay. He goes, he kind of like oscillates on this moral compass mm-hmm. where he helps people and then he does like some really truly fucked well, up shit. Then he'll do what do you mean by fucked up shit? Cuz like, you know writing a blank check to yourself is a slay. That, <laughs> I honestly I feel like that's been the worst thing he's done so far. It's like he doesn't follow through, right? Like mm. he, when he when he gets caught by the cops, he's immediately like, "All right, you got me." <laughs> like he could have just continued on on his grift, right? Mm. But I guess maybe he's too early on in his career. He's like pretty early er, on. these are early fuck-ups. Yeah. So he's learning. He's still okay. stumbling along. I don't know. But I think I, I read this shit about the skin and I thought, wow, I, I got a little... 70 inches is a lot of skin. It's a lot of skin. And yeah. he immediately develops health problems. Yeah, it's, like like a, his... it's like a cat. I'm out of the... Think about how much skin's on a cat, guys. 
Because <laughs> they took a whole cat and put it onto what, what, what's this woman's name? I don't Pearl. know. Pearl. Ugh. Yeah, Pearl. Pearl. Poor Pearl. And Pearl lived. Uh, Pearl got to live. I assume the rest of her life with that with Charles Ponzi's skin upon her skin. And wow. he again developed health problems in the hospital. Like something happens to his lungs. It's like a fasomy or something. I don't know. He gets a pleurisy from from the from skin the skin grafting. Yeah. <gasps> So, so he got like an infection or he something. He spends like a few months in the hospital because it fucked him up a lot. Oh then he gets better and he uh, f- gets the fuck out of Alabama or wherever the fuck he was supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, if all right. If you're in Alabama listening to this, guess what? Get the fuck out of there. Don't Get your skin cut get out. off and get the fuck out of there. Yeah. So he fucks off. He goes west. He notably works as a foreign business salesman for like 10 bucks a week. Well, what does that which, mean? Yeah. I honestly, in 19, what, 13, this is supposed to be? I don't fucking know what that's supposed to mean. That's a good idea. But he would get on the phone with people. He would talk to people. And he had a lot of working knowledge of foreign male. He's at this point, like, conversational in a few more languages than just English and Italian. He learns, like, French, Spanish, and German at some point because he's talking to so many people on the phone. And this man's a talker. So, and also... I feel like I said this at the beginning. I'm just going to say it again. I don't give a shit that this is a narrative episode and we're not talking about his business yet. This is my podcast and I can do whatever I want. (laughs) So this is all important to me. (laughs) Can I just think for a second in my brain? Yes. Uh, Charles Ponzi would be an amazing podcast guest. (gasps) Right? Just the way we've described him. He's beautiful. Well-spoken. He spent time in prison. He's which smart. I've listened to The Moth a couple times. Mm-hmm. And anyone with prison stories, they're always really compelling. Mm-hmm. He's smart, like you're saying. Yeah. I just feel like he'd be a great guest to have on. I, what I would give, I would give I would give 72 inches of my back and legs yeah. to talk to Charles Ponzi. I would give a small calico cat's worth of skin <laughs> just to have Charles Ponzi on this podcast. <laughs> so he's working as a foreign business salesman in, I, I, fucking somewhere in the West. It doesn't matter. If this is between 1913 and 1916. Again, I wanted you to keep in mind 1920. That's the mm. year it's all going to fucking go crazy. Okay, okay. So we're 1913 and Four 1916. And sometimes when I think about this, I'm like, what was I doing between 2013 and 2016? You know, like do I, you do that really? Sometimes to like make things more congealed in my mind. And I suppose, about, yeah. What was I doing? Yeah, man, blacking out at a concert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 2013. Oh, that's when I met my wife too. Aww. Yeah. Okay. Well, enough okay. about me. Now you're back in. All right. One of his friends at the time. Uh, this is when he wasn't working at that foreign business salesman place. He worked at a college library or whatever for whatever time. One of his friends at that time reflects that, quote, Ponzi routinely spent whatever money he made on girls or friends. Ponzi especially delighted in buying ice cream for the children who gathered during the afternoon to play on the college lawn. He would never let you spend your money, Carlson said after Ponzi left town. Quote, no matter if he was spending his last cent on you. Charles. <laughs> Charles. In 1916, World War One is happening. Mm. And he decides he's going to go fight in Italy for World War One. He gets on the ship literally to go back to Italy to like help in the war effort and finds out he has to pay the fare to go back to Italy to fight in a war. Jumps ship <laughs> before he even leaves the dock. Whoa. <laughs> Talk about cheap. He said, I don't want to go. I don't want to pay to go fight in a war. No, thank you. Um, Deuces. Yeah. So then he, he's back in New York again. He's washed ashore in New York with not a fucking penny on him. Quote, stuck in New York, Ponzi again scoured the help wanted ads. One seemed written just for him. The J.R. Poole Company needed a clerk for its import-export business. The salary was fair, but Ponzi liked location. After 13 years of roughing it in North America, he, Ponzi was returning to the city where he first landed in search of gold, Boston. That is where the whole thing is going to take place. The whole scheme, the whole flim-flam. 
What is this? Another Ponzi scheme? That's my attempt at a Boston accent. <laughs> I uh, let's let's delete that. All right, let's you cut know, that out. It's, yeah. it's been cut. Don't cool. worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I said I laugh because I like I'm like yeah. I know I'm not gonna fucking cut yeah. it out. What am I from Harvard? That one was a little bit better. He works a bank job he doesn't really like through 1916, but on Memorial Day weekend of 1917. <gasps> that's he, this very weekend. That's this very weekend that we're recording. What? Memorial Day weekend of 1917. He and his landlady, for some reason, decide to go to a Boston Pops concert. They fuck off to an Italian neighborhood where Charles notices a lovely young woman. She's four foot eleven. Okay. Okay. And he's five two. Match made in heaven. Um, that three inch differential. I need is you to so... look at this picture of the two of them. Wait, that's actually really cute. Just so cute that's so and beautiful. Cute. Her name is Rose Neko, and she is the love of his life. He will spend the rest of his life, oh, I'm not going to cry, hopelessly devoted to Rose. <laughs> Charles. <laughs> Charles. He's 35 and she's 21. Okay, it's. Charles. I think there are definitely worse age gaps, especially back oh. in the day. Oh, yeah. And that's when they meet is when he's 35 and she's 21. I was not saying that to be like, ew, creepy, but I, 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 that could, be hey, it could be worse. It could be worse. Could be worse. They immediately hit it off. He goes over to talk to her because he notices this beautiful short woman, mm. <laughs> this short queen. That night, he tells his landlady, I'm going to marry her. And his, his landlady is like, you're crazy. Quote, a few days later, Ponzi telephoned Rose to invite her to a moving picture show. His failure to ask her father's permission was a breach of accepted courting etiquette, but she had a mind of her own. And she was attracted to the older, worldly suitor. Rose accepted. That night, they sat side by side in the darkened theater, and Ponzi knew he never wanted to be farther apart. He told her he wanted to marry her, and she laughed. But then, of course, they got married. Oh. <laughs> Fuck. <sighs> Quote, during their engagement, Rose received... Oh, God, this is such a twist. So they're, like, devoted, very madly in love. Rose receives a letter during their engagement from Imelda Ponzi, Charles' mom. And the letter goes into detail of his entire criminal past, Montreal, college the united states she doxes him doxes the shit out of her kid just because she said rose i want you to i want you to know everything about him before you marry him and i think he's too proud to tell you he's a mama's boy though why would she do such a thing she wants him to be happy Ari. she wants him to be happy and she wants his wife to know him fully i i don't agree with it i would never do such a thing to my own boy horrible but then rose reads the letter and is like i love him anyway writes back to imelda love him anyway you know what imelda wherever you are (laughs) <laughs> they didn't bury you deep enough. <laughs> is that too evil? That is so Sounds like evil. I'm going to unbury you, Imelda. <laughs> the, Imelda comes back in the story, and we love Imelda. Okay, well, but I'm n- watching out. Oh, I'm duped. You I'm got suspicious. me on Charles' side now. I was a little I bit did. skeptical, yeah. and now I'm like, he's a, he's the best. Yeah. He's a hero. They married on February 4th of 1918, two years before everything really hits the fan. Mm-hmm. So we are two years out from uh, a nightmare. <laughs> okay. 1919, they moved into a modest house. He got a promotion at the bank he was working at. He was like making 50 bucks a week now. But he's deeply unsatisfied with this kind of work because he literally wants to shower Rose in gifts all the time. Yeah. 1919, again, that's like pre-Great Depression. Pre-Great like, Depression. Everyone's buying everything on margin, right? <laughs> but yeah, also there's a fucking pandemic happening. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. book never once mentions the pandemic, but it's Context-wise. Like... I guess when you're that short, it's hard to catch any disease. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so- I'm apologizing to all my short listeners out there. Yeah. And I am coming for you. <laughs> yeah, ever listen to Randy Newman's "Short People Got Nothing to Live For"? That is a misinterpreted song, and I mean it literally. We are literally doing some controversial takes yeah. on this podcast. This is actually when I was younger, I thought that song was about me because I was four foot six. 
for how long were you four foot six? When did Until when did puberty really like set in? Sixteen, seventeen, and I hit real puberty in college. So you were four foot. Yeah, I'm a late bloomer. I'm 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 taking hot takes against myself. Really. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I was a tiny boy. You, <laughs> this, is, this is gonna be. I hope this is not a mean thing to say to somebody. Yeah. But you have an energy of somebody who was a late bloomer. Yes, yeah. I do. I really do. <laughs> yeah. Unassuming. Mm-hmm. You know, no, no hubris. No, no, not an ounce. Yeah. Love small dogs because <laughs> they were normal sized dogs for me. <laughs> they call you back to your primal urge yeah. of being short. Short king alert. Wee woo. Okay. <laughs> I'll bring that back again. Quote, Rose craved his attention. This is in the early parts of their marriage. Rose craved his attention and grew peeved at times over her husband's dedication to a stamp collection. I wouldn't mention this if it wasn't important. To a stamp collection that he kept through his years of travel. For some men, it would be an idle hobby. But it seemed like more for Ponzi. He would for hours like hover over this these colorful little pieces of paper he had lovingly pressed into several books as though the different denominations printed on the faces held a secret that he was desperate to unlock it was a fitting hobby for the son of a postman who had died young oh that makes sense but it also it it, this is Chekhov's stamp collection it's absolutely going to come back (laughs) I'm in I'm in for the ride In 1919, this does not come back, but this was presented completely without context in the book. May 10th of 1919, Ponzi was served with a warrant charging him for stealing 5,387 pounds of cheese valued at 45 cents a pound. Two days, I don't know how he got this cheese. I don't know why he would be stealing it. Two days later, he pled innocent in the Boston Municipal Court. Then he received a rare stroke of good luck. The clerk who wrote out the warrant misspelled his surname, substituting a U for an N, listing the defendant as Charles Pousey. Mistrial! The mistake frustrated efforts by authorities to follow up on the purloined cheese, and the case was continued several times before finally being dismissed for lack of prosecution. Ponzi... (laughs) Yes. Ponzi claimed it was an innocent misunderstanding. Yeah. Ponzi cheese is what I'm thinking of. (laughs) I don't... A man stealing so much cheese in the year of our Lord 1919, I don't understand. Yeah, last time I heard about a man named Chuck taking stealing away with some cheese... I was playing some games in a bouncy castle at Chuck E. Charles Entertainment. Okay. That was a rich... You know where I'm going with this joke. The rich tapestry of your mind unfolded before me, watching you put those words together. Uh, I was loving it. Listener, I'm stretching right now. (laughs) We're about to get into it. Now, Charles E. Cheese is a grifter by name only. Rose's dad's family business goes under in 1919. I think it's like selling fruit or something. Sorry, Rose Necco. Right? Rose Necco. Rose Ponzi. Rose now. Pearl Imelda. These are the three women of his life. Yeah, the three, the th- big strong three. names, right? Great names. Yeah. I honestly want all three of those names to come back into like popularity. Yeah, Imelda also reminds me of the former first lady of the Philippines, who uh-huh. is a big. It's a big story. Yeah. If you want, there's a whole documentary you can watch about her, but. She, you know, very controversial figure. Ooh, anyway, I love that. Friend. It's a powerful name. A very powerful name. Yeah. So it's Rose Ponzi at this point, which she gleefully accepts that last name. Right. So the, the family business goes under in 1919. Charles tries to take charge of the family business, and it's not really his mismanagement that puts it under. Like they were already super in debt. He just like could not save it, and heartbroken over the loss of his family business. That's how it's described in the book. It's not me describing it that way. Her father dies in 1919. Her mother dies, and then her father dies shortly after. Like, both of her parents die within a very short period of time between 1919 and 1920. So she's heartbroken, but hopelessly devoted to her husband. These familial deaths also had Charles in his feelings, and he starts, like, wiring his his own mother thousands of lire per month. That's the Italian currency. Mm -hmm. It's a few hundred bucks a month in U.S. currency. He also starts depositing small sums in bank accounts of his own name in Italy. Back to 1919. Charles, yeah, failed to take over the family business. 
And then he's like, I'm not happy at my bank job. Rose's family business just like went under. I want to do something with my life. I'm going to make my business. All of this strife and all of these events that have happened to me, I want to give Rose the best life I can give her. And so I'm going to start my own damn business. He buys an office and furniture from Joseph Daniels. This is also coming back later. Oh. Joseph Daniels, a snake, the Aaron Burr in this story. <laughs> oh, little Leslie Odom, huh? A little Leslie Odom Jr. action for you. Yeah. He buys furniture from Joseph Daniels, and it, it, his business, his first business is like an international magazine or something. It doesn't really take off. But he's renting furniture, basically, from Joseph Daniels because he couldn't pay it all up, up front. So he was like, let me give you five bucks a month to like eventually pay off all this furniture. He subscribed to his chair. <laughs> Netflix subscribed to his chair. Wow. <laughs> and so Joseph Daniels was like, okay, I don't, I don't give a shit. But this will come back later. I, just remember the name Joseph Daniels, furniture dealer. It, it's locked in there. Locked and loaded. All right. So he putzes around and he's trying to start this international ad corporation. He buys an office, gets the damn furniture. Quote, with his debts rising along with his frustration, on December 1st, 1919, Ponzi swallowed his pride and walked across to the pawn shop and he pawned off Rose's diamond rings and like a bunch of his own stuff just to start this fucking business. Okay. Why would you do such a thing? Before he's even got a thing. But then. She's your woman. Right before Christmas of 1919, gold strikes. She's devoted to you. Oh, she is so devoted to him. In 1919, right before Christmas, gold strikes through the letter of a, from a Spaniard. Some dude in Spain had heard about this international ad, whatever the fucking thing he was trying to do. Mm. And the letter came. Oh, God, I have to put my computer down for this explanation. The letter came with an international reply coupon. Do you know what that is? I, I've never heard of that before. Here's my little rant on postage, I guess. An international reply coupon made in 1906 by the International Universal Postal Union was a way to make it easier for people to send mail cross or uh, between internationally. internationally. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. forgot the word for internationally. <laughs> because there are different postage stamp rules in different countries, it's difficult and annoying to like stamp it with Spanish stamps. Send it to the United States where they mm. like can't. You know, it's yeah. impolite to sell it without or to send mail without um, helping them get a return, whatever. So anyway, international reply coupons. You can buy an international reply coupon in Spain for like 10 cents. And that covers its journey over to the United States, where then the recipient will take that international reply coupon, go to the post office and will redeem it for U.S. stamps already paid for by that person in Spain. Mm -hmm. And then they will put those stamps on their letter and send it back to Spain. Okay. It's a coupon. It's a coupon. That's that's the important it's thing. It's just a coupon. Yeah. Listen, did you get all, get all that? But Charles Ponzi figures if you can buy these international reply coupons for 10 cents in Spain, you come over and you redeem it in the U.S. for like what is basically 20 cents worth of stamps because stamps here are just more expensive than they are in Spain. If you then resell those stamps, you have then made a profit of 10 cents. Oh, he's profiting on the margin on, of, between on international... On arbitrage is what it's wow. called. Arbitrage. And so that idea comes to him. He starts doing these calculations. He's like, I can get like a 50% return on investment if I buy a shit ton of these stamps in Spain, bring them over, redeem them, and then sell the U.S. stamps. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. <laughs> Who's going to fucking buy stamps from a Canadian criminal? I don't care how hot and short you are, Charlie. I'm not buying your stamps. You know who uh, tried to think of that question and couldn't come up with an answer? Charles Ponzi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yay, Charlie. He, he was like, this is such a good idea. I'm going to do it and just hope that it works out. So that is the initial 
it's not like it's not unethical it's not a scam that is a thing you can do and genuinely make money in theory mm-hmm. but in practice dot 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 <laughs> yeah. so does the scam make sense because it took me like a lot of reading to even makes vaguely sense. understand he's, it's a 10 percent markup he's getting 20 cents of yeah. value from a 10 cent investment yeah yeah 50. that's exactly what it is so yeah. if you get other people to also invest and then you can go and you buy all the, the use coupons their money and to buy more stamps exactly then once once you resell the stamps all of their money will come back at a 50 yeah. percent return on investment and then you can pay them back out hmm. yeah i'm with it okay so, it's now going to become a month-by-month breakdown of the year 1920, okay? Okay, we're getting into it. January 17th of 1920, uh, 1920 Prohibition happens, which is unrelated to Charles Ponzi. I just forgot. Prohibition is when they, they eliminate. Eliminate the... alcohol. Okay. Can you believe that we did that as a country? 1920, January 17th. You know, I can. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it's low-key still a pandemic. People are ready to go out and party, and then alcohol gets banned. Dumb. <sighs> Stupid. But then a small Italian man approaches you and says you can make a lot of money quickly. What are you doing? <laughs> so, it, uh, okay. Yeah, me. I'm drunk off of ethanol because I can't get any alcohol. <laughs> and a small king comes to me and says, would you like to make a million dollars? What, am I going to say no? What, am I stupid? Initially, his scheme is not well uh, received not necessarily because of anything wrong with him presenting it it's just that not a lot of people are willing to take on such an endeavor it's it's that's not the same thing today right like if someone came to you it's like hey i could turn your money i could double your money on mm-hmm. some bored apes right yeah yeah like an nft scam yeah exactly yeah. he just didn't have any proof to back him up and it's like why not just put it in a bank and get your two percent return on investment like whatever right but then he ups it he's like i can do it in 45 days i can get you a 50 percent return on investment in 45 days that was his selling point that was his selling point 45 days i will get you a you know and nobody was like you're full of shit (laughs) well he got one i don't know who this man is his name starts with a g i i don't know he got one dude to buy into it okay and he said hey man tell all your friends (laughs) that way like we can all go in on these stamps together and he had fully intended on getting these stamps okay and reselling them or whatever but he does and all of this money starts pouring in from this guy's friends and then he makes good on his word and he does pay them back Mm. and (laughs) right before that he had failed to pay the furniture guy joseph daniels okay and he says listen man i got this really good business idea if you give me a 200 dollar loan which is how he's able to pay back some of those friends Mm -hmm. that i mentioned if you give me a 200 dollar loan i will return yeah, I will give you that 50% return on investment and then we can forget this whole furniture thing ever happened. Like you can just forget that I didn't pay you for a few months because then all of my debt will be paid for this furniture. Mm. Joseph Daniels says yes, they complete that and then Joseph Daniels fucks off. But he comes, he, again, Aaron Burr, he's going to stew. Whoa. <laughs> but Charles Ponzi successfully does that. Okay, he successfully pays back the furniture guy, Joseph Daniels. Okay, okay. Okay. You're, I, mean, I want to be in that room where it happened. <laughs> <laughs> so then it almost immediately becomes a frenzy. Everybody starts hearing about this 50% return on investment and pours in to the Charles Ponzi uh, 27 School Street is where it is. People are lining up at the door, banging it down, saying, I want to make some fucking money right right now. And then that like sets into, it sets into motion the popularity of Charles' scheme. I can't believe it's all based on fucking stamps. 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 Yeah. Because... When he explains it to people, he can explain how he's internationally traveled, he speaks the language, he understands foreign currency, 
also what I failed to mention is that it's right after World War One, and sp- like a lot of European economies are in the fucking garbage right now, which is why there's such a discrepancy in the stamp prices in the first place. Hmm. So when you explain that political history and that you know how to, I don't know, do all this arbitrage, yeah. you seem impressive and smart. I guess in the twenties. And I bet he definitely. I don't know, no, no proof, but I bet he definitely was like. And my dad was a postman. Whoa, honestly, he had to flex on that. I would have absolutely right? flexed on if that. If my yeah. dad was a postman, and then it's like, look, I grew up around stamps. I know stamps. And he had honey. that huge stamp collection. I'm sure he's shown people that fucking stamp collection. I told you it was going to come back. That is such a good reference. That you, it's it's like he was so raptured by his own stamp collection. Yeah. Really crazy. Yeah, I told you it was coming back. Everything I told you is coming and, and back. Really impressive. So now he's got this stamp business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not really business because he is. He, there's like a few stamps that he gets, and he's like, "Oh God, how do I resell these?" <laughs> so then, in March of 1920, God, this is like the start of his undoing. He writes a letter to ooh, the post office. I don't know, some sort of post place. Ah, and he really uh, showed too much of his hand because he wrote to the post office and he said, he said, by the way, can you exchange international reply coupons just for cash? Like, do you have to do the whole stamp thing? And the post office, who had heard about this huge postal business that he had been running, they were like, you should know that you can't do that. <laughs> you should know that you need to like get the stamps and then sell the stamps. You can't just redeem the coupons for, for money. For cash, yeah. So then <laughs> the post office hears about that. And in April of 1920, the Italian Postal Agency suspends all sales of IRCs and so do France and Romania, which means the main thing he's saying his business is based on no longer exists mm. in Italy, France, and Romania. The main countries whose IRCs are like oh. valued so low so then he can like resell them so high. Is this making sense? Because I know the yeah. stupid stamp stuff is sometimes hard to understand. Can, can he still get it from Spain? Because yes. I remember. He can still get it from Spain. Okay. Very important. Very important. But he also, he makes up a guy <laughs> who he pretends like goes to Italy to like secretly get him IRCs and come back. Mm, clandestine operation. Clandestine operation. His, I think he calls him like Stanley or Stanty or something. <laughs> He's like, nah, Stanley's getting <laughs> My more. friend Stanley Elnats over there <laughs> digging holes in Italy. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that was a good yeah, one. Yeah, we're Holes fans on yeah. this. Yeah, Holes fans on the podcast. Yeah. But he's like, yeah. And I think he also, this is in the book. I don't remember if this actually happened. But I think he was like, my dad's a postman. I have friends in high places at the post office at, in Italy. Big flex. Big flex. Which is why he's able to keep up his, uh, I don't know, his scheme. And people, and also he's becoming somewhat of a local celebrity, okay? People are obsessed with this, like, well-dressed guy. He buys a Locomobile, which is a car that was only special made. Like, it was, they were custom made. Locomobile just for, makes me think it's like a tiny train? Oh, my God. That would be like awesome. Locomotive kind of thing? Whoa. Locomobile? I feel like locomotive, does locomotive necessarily mean train or does it mean object that moves? I, that's a great question. I just imagine it has. <laughs> and, and listen to right now, I am, I'm zigzagging Zooming. my arms like a, like a choo-choo train yeah. would. That's why I feel like the kind of car he'd be driving mm. is. It's like a choo-choo train. Or maybe it was. It was, whatever the case, it was not one of those Wait, Ford. he's a short king driving around a small train like he's at a mall. Like, you know, we're at the oh, mall. Oh, he rides in the back. Someone hey, drives him. Yeah, he's in the caboose. Yeah. He's a little boy in the caboose. <laughs> but he gets a locomobile. He gets like a mansion. He's like living in this uh he's living the life yeah in new york in <laughs> concrete can i sing that on this yeah uh, jungle <laughs> where things are made of i loved it yeah. i never had a musical interlude like that okay so anyways he is very successful this is still like march april of 1920 and by the end of this year he will be in prison okay 
So we're spoiler. S- <laughs> spoiler alert. We are living it up on top in Boston. So then by In Boston. <laughs> That's a high that we were in New York. Okay. In he starts hiring people. Um, let me show you his loyal bookkeeper, Lucy Melly, who is eighteen years old, who looks like she's seen so much shit. Oh, she's got she's got something. <laughs> she has seen worlds in yeah. her lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Where, Lucy is her name? Lucy is her name. <laughs> he wanted to hire somebody who would be very good at their job, but wouldn't ask a lot of questions. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> and so that is what he finds an 18-year-old Lucy. I'm begging you to go look at my Instagram to check out Lucy because her face says so much. <laughs> yeah, she's lived a life more than 18 years. And by the summer of 1920 he's able to bring his mom over to the united states from italy Imelda. and he was literally like crying at the port waiting for her to come in and he was so like jumping around so excited for Imelda to come in and then he notices people getting off like the steerage or whatever because he made Imelda ride first class okay that woman was not riding Gladly. for anything less but everyone else who got off the ship he was like oh man they all arrived poor and penniless and i remember that th- that was me about 20 years ago and so we just started giving out money to people like as they came um as they poured into i, I assume he's just like creating court. this like like cult of personality around himself like, mm-hmm. he's become famous in like the financial area mm-hmm. and now just people coming off the boat they're like oh that's charles ponzi mm-hmm. i know him that's that guy mm-hmm. uh yeah, I was going to read like quotes from the book because he was the quote like giddy as a child and oh, his so he's like crying when he reunites with his mom and he's like, we're never going to be apart again. Like you're going to live with me and Rose. <laughs> Fuck. Wow. And so this is a picture of her. This woman lived in the 1800s. <laughs> is that her with Charles? That's her with Charles. Oh, it's kind of a, he's a little older in this picture, but she's like wearing. Wait, I have another one of the three of them. They're wearing like full uh eleganza <laughs> for like uh old-timey eleganza yeah she's that's so a woman. she just came in and he's about to be in jail he's about to be in jail yeah she comes in 1920 he's in jail by like December. oh my god he is just a consistent disappointment to her isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> god damn it charlie you just want him to, to do well <sighs> you know i know you like when you're having a hard time you want to be around family Mm-hmm. But like you're not even having a hard time yet, and you're just trying to show off to your mom. Well, he is internally having a very hard time. He oh. develops severe stomach ulcers during the year of 1920 because he's fully abandoned the stamp idea. Whoa! He's like, I know that this stamp thing is never going to happen. Stomach and- ulcers he developed. Mm-hmm. Whoa! Is it like stress? You think S- stress stomach ulcers? Oh. And so this man has a tummy ache the entire year of 1920, and he was very brave about it. It's funny, you know, that's not the only Italian immigrant that I know that had stomach issues that led to a, you know. A potential issue. There's a guy, and, and this is from, I learned this from a musical listener, uh, from the musical Assassins. <laughs> You've ever heard of that? Um, the man who killed uh, um, the former mayor of Chicago. Okay. Um, he I'm was listening. an Italian immigrant who uh, was trying to kill Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Oh. But instead killed, um, what's his name? The mayor of Chicago. Uh, oh. Daily? No, it, older. No. Uh, uh, there's a, isn't there's there like a whole daily legacy though? There's a street named no, after him. Sound like an older daily? Mayor assassin <laughs> assassination attempt um, for Chicago. <laughs> I have to find it now. I've, I've, Anton Cermak. Anton Cermak. Cermak. Oh, Cermak. Cermak. That'll do All right. It. So he was murdered by an uh, Italian immigrant. Okay. Who was upset 
with the current like social class divide, uh-huh. but who gained these crazy stomach issues from working in some chemical plant. Oh my god! And inhaling fumes that like ruined his health. Now, did you start this story by saying I know him? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect it. Uh-oh, played my hand. I'm actually really old, guys. <laughs> and anyways, that is the summer of 1920 that his mother has come over to the United States. Business is booming. Literally, people are like crowding in front of 27 State Street by the hundreds in the morning, just begging him for like an investment or whatever, like a Ponzi note is what they're called. Swarming over him. People like chant for him when he's in town. People follow him around. And he's Charles Ponzi. He's yeah. spending his money on the townsfolk. Yeah. It's like Godfather Don Ciccio walking around before he gets murdered. You mm-hmm. know the Godfather too, guys? You know it. <laughs> but then, this bo- the whole book tells the parallel story. It's very... Um, uh, very Alexander Hamilton, Aaron burr oh. of the Boston Post reporter who had caught wind that this was perhaps not a legitimate uh, way to be making money. And so the Boston Post, fuck the Boston Post. Me and my Hamie, me and all my homies hate the Boston yeah, Post. We're Boston Globe guys. Yeah, we're Boston Globe heads. Yeah, we love Spotlight. <laughs> but the Boston Post is the thing that's going to take Charles Ponzi down. They're reporting, their constant nagging, their constant pressure for people to do lawsuits, blah, 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 blah. Ugh, boring. Is what, yeah, and it's like, oh, let me, the book is like, let me tell you the story of the guy who like broke the story. I don't care. I don't want to know. I don't yeah. care. Um, He's a Let's hater. Let's stay with the, the hero of the story, Charles Ponzi. Mr. Charles Ponzi. So by late July, so this story is going to break like August 5th, okay? <laughs> so we're kind of counting down to Uh-oh. the end here. It's going to be the beginning of the Went end. Years to months to weeks now. Yeah. Charles Ponzi has bought like a mansion for him and Rose and Imelda to stay in. He's got like... Uh, the locomobile he loves that's the loco he's treating rose to the life he thinks she deserves i'm gonna say it again that's loco that's <laughs> <laughs> did you want me to laugh the first yeah, time yeah yeah thank you yeah. okay you're welcome i have yeah. now laughed the second yeah. time Louis loco okay but he is <laughs> about to see the end because a series of articles had already come out about him and with these negative articles just comes more positive press because when people want to withdraw their money because they're afraid that it's a scam he's able to do it every time because it's still very successful so quote each refund demonstrated that he was a man of his word prompting even more investors in the days that followed (laughs) by mid-july ponzi was taking in more than a million dollars in new investments a week each day was better than the one before i mean and at that point he had already lost the access to the IRCs. Yep. He did yeah. and also <laughs> part of the reporting the the Boston uh post did was that like if his business was legitimate, there would be millions of stamps in circulation in the United States right now. Right now there's like forty two thousand. <laughs> so there's just no way. Red flag. Red flag, Red alert. flag alert. But people don't have Google back then. They don't have flag. Alert. A red flag alert. Okay. <laughs> this is becoming a musical. Am I the podcast. first musical? Uh, yeah, honestly, guess. nobody has sang this much on the podcast. Oh, well, that's what you get with an RE11 podcast. <laughs> but people are becoming even more obsessed with him because then reporters keep asking him questions and he keeps being funny in the press. And then people are still like even more obsessed with him in turn. Well, like you said before, cult of personality is yeah. really what happens. People are like, I believe him through anything. Next, you're going to tell me he invented 42069. Oh, my God. Well, let uh, me just skip this next paragraph. Then, no! <laughs> so, Joseph Daniels, waiting in the wings for his big entrance. Joseph Daniels, the furniture man, comes and he says, 
I was an early investor in your company and I believe I'm entitled to be a partner because something, something you used my money to make this business. It's legal things that I guess may have seemed legitimate back then, mm. but to me, I don't understand and they're not legitimate to me. But he's bringing about a multi-million dollar lawsuit to Charles Ponzi. This is in addition to the investigations currently happening from like- He's the- a bad man too. Yes. Mr. Daniels. All my homies hate Mr. Daniels. Yeah. Mr. Joseph Daniels. We, we're all Joseph A. Bank guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I know you didn't say thank you, but I wanted to tell you you're thank welcome. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Joseph Daniels is ready to pounce and ready to put, apart, put upon the world this multi-million dollar lawsuit with Charles Ponzi. Ponzi knows that if there was going to be more investigations, he's desperately trying to prove right now that he's solvent because there's active investigations from attorneys general, (laughs) like trying to find all the books and put everything together. Yeah, they want to validate the authenticity of his business, Mm -hmm. which who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? And he thinks he can buy more time by that, like their month-long investigation, and then just continue operating as usual. He just thought mm-hmm. something would happen. Don't you think he could have like settled? If he has that much money, he could have settled with. He Joseph. Sa- he did settle with Joseph Banks. Oh, the next pe- he settles with Joseph. I'm gonna Banks love the way for- he looks. Joseph, Banks, those are the the suit guys, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's gonna love the way that he looks. <laughs> Joseph. Okay. Uh, Daniel settles for $75,000 and I think at that point would become a partner in the company something something like that is what they agreed on and smart just pay him out yeah but this lawsuit the settlement was so big that people started uh, asking financial experts is it possible that Charles Ponzi could be doing all this and everyone was like no (laughs) (laughs) yeah he would also need Titanic sized cruise ships delivering all of those coupons were he to be actually doing the coupon thing the, the, the sheer volume of investors yeah really yeah it's, it's probably not like like a handful like a of major volumes it's like small no. like that's also please, what, so, turn this 20 dollars into 40 that's what's so endearing about him is that he does take investments like that yeah. he was very down for like immigrants or whoever wanted to yeah, invest course. their like ten dollars so that's why everybody in boston loves this guy at one point 75 percent of the police force in boston had invested in charles ponzi's company which is also why red flag alert red flag alert that's also why uh whenever like somebody would get mad in the mob at the door like it was taken of immediately because Charles Ponzi was very good friends with the police at that point. Also, the police, oh, this is so much history that you don't need to know. But in 1919, the police had tried to like negotiate uh, for higher wages. Okay. And Calvin Coolidge stomped all of those efforts, fired most of the police force. So most of the police force by 1920. Love, love are, our ACAB president, Calvin Coolidge. <laughs> Stanford alumni, big engineering vibes. Definitely the woke king that the left needs yeah. is Calvin Coolidge. Yeah, strong Calvin Coolidge. <laughs> Took in every pot and a car in every garage. <laughs> that was him, right? Yeah. I, d- him. I have no idea. I don't know anything about Listener, the president. Listener, you can validate me and you can DM me at R-E-M-L-E-V-I-N. Just to like try and see, is Ari full of shit? (laughs) But yeah, uh, 75% of the police force is invested in Charles Ponzi's thing, which is why he's able to get a lot of protection. Smart. Just smart from Charles. Yeah. From his perspective, it is in fact very smart. And he also had opened a bunch of bank accounts in other people's names, uh, like Lucy. Uh, just so he could start spreading money as thin as possible. Yeah, pissed off Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> pissed off Lucy, yeah. yeah. And he decides, so things are crashing down around him. He had just settled the lawsuit. More had come out about his business, like not necessarily being solvent. There's no proof of this. But also, a reporter had gone all the way to Canada 
because they ran a story about how they heard a rumor that Charles Ponzi had been arrested in Canadian prison. But that sounds like a clickbait article. Honestly, half of his life already sounds like a clickbait article. Like, it's already insane that he's lived so much of this life. But then a reporter goes to Canada, finds somebody... Uh, like shows a picture of him around Montreal and they're like that's my man Charles because he was so popular right. everyone loved him <laughs> wow yes, yes so then he's undone by his own popularity because they're like that's the dude who went to prison that's Bianchi <laughs> no yeah. they outed his fake last name outed his fake last name <sighs> come back they post that about him things are going a little bit awry Charles Ponzi decides I'm gonna rob a bank <laughs> wait at this point in his life I'm going to hold up a bank at gunpoint? Not hold up a bank at gunpoint. He was like, I'm going to go into the Hanover Bank where I have like millions of dollars and I'm just going to steal more when they let me into the vault. (laughs) Okay. So that's the plan. Now, were a few days to pass for him to execute that plan, we might be telling a different story. However... There is a damning article that comes out in the Boston Post that finally it like reveals everything about his past, the forgery, the prison, the the everything else. And <laughs> it was the final nail in the coffin, despite their attempts to uh, uh, nail him down. This is the one that finally did it because the investigation that had been going on for like months finally proved that he is, in fact, not solvent. Yes. Yes. And so um, the headline was just like... Charles Ponzi's business is going to close. It's bad. Don't invest your money anymore. And so people go nuts. They're all trying to withdraw their money. And then he's obviously not able to keep up the house of cards. And it falls. In August of 1920, the empire has crumbled. And Charles Ponzi is uh, made to be sent to prison. This is where I need to get my phone out because my computer is no longer helpful to me. Uh, (laughs) The story does not end here. So this is, he's on his way to prison or he's, he's, so he's indicted and, and indicted. Okay. And he decides to represent himself in court. (laughs) Oh, that is a classic Charles move. Classic Charles. Actually, it might not have been the first time because he goes to trials or he goes to, he goes to prison the first time for this. Ponzi, attorney at law. Uh, But then he's like re-sued again in like Massachusetts or New York and those attempts he represented himself. I don't know about this first one, but... Rose, every single like court hearing, every single thing, she would always be there every morning, give him a kiss before he like would start the court proceedings. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Don't do that to me. Allegedly, she loves, so she loves him so much. <laughs> <laughs> She's so in love with him. When he was found guilty, she like ran screaming into the hallway and fell and like hurt herself. Romance. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't deserve her. Oh, but she loves him so much, yeah. my friend. She made that adult decision. Are you crying over there? It's it's <laughs> sweet. It's really sweet. Oh, it's so sweet and so sad. And okay. So, anyways, Ooh, let me find these damn notes. I took so many notes, listener. Usually, my podcast scripts are like ten pages long, and this one was like seventeen. <laughs> Buckle up. So I'm trying to find. I'm. This ain't no Six Flags episode, this folks. <laughs> this is Charles F. Ponzi. The F stands for fucks. <laughs> okay. At one point, this is before. Oop, hello. This is before the uh, down. This is like August of 1920. Um, Gallagher asked why Ponzi had continued to invite the public to invest in him, despite the fact that he had amassed a personal fortune and could have just cut the money and run to Italy, you know? Sure. Ponzi said, quote, I don't need money, but eventually I will need people. Uh, 
And I feel like that's I feel like that's the ethos of his life. He keeps doing these things because he likes interacting with people. Something a space captain would say that I don't need money. I need people. Oh, actually, you know, sounds like a wartime hero too. Not to bring it back to Ukraine or whatever, but that is what Zelensky did say. I don't need money. I need people. He really said that. I think he said the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, listener. Again, DM me. Tell me how full of shit I am. (laughs) Hit me up. Yeah. Um, when the gr- when the jury foreman pronounced the verdict guilty, Ponzi took the news stoically. Rose burst into tears, left the courtroom, collapsed, injured herself on the floor. He was granted a reprieve uh, before having to like actually go and serve his time in prison. What does that mean when you say reprieve? Oh God, like a, I was hoping people would just like sort a of respite. Know. I guess he didn't have to go to prison immediately. Mm. I assume because it was a financial crime, something, something. I'm sure he charmed his way. He's not a dangerous guy. Look at him. Five foot two. Granted that reprieve, Ponzi began plotting his comeback, determined to repay all of his creditors and regain his fortune. For a few months, he earned money doing a vaudeville act. What? (laughs) No. No. Vaudeville back then was like blackface. No, Charles. Oh, it doesn't say anything about blackface in here. I mean, I mean. I mean. I guess. He also, there's, well, it describes a different vaudeville act that he was doing. He was doing like an improv skit about... This is before everything happened, but he was doing like an impromptu skit with, I don't know, it's like Jim oh and God. something. So that was how the vaudeville was described before. I don't know if he's doing the same vaudeville act. Look, if he's doing improv, <laughs> then I identify with him. You've become more um, endeared to him after yeah, learning that he had a brief endearing. stint in improv comedy. Yeah, bilingual improv student. Let's do it. <laughs> yes, and. Yes, and. So he serves several years in prison and then eventually is tried again. And when he's tried again, he represents himself in court. Quote, by the end of the trial, the jury was sold. Ponzi and his co-defendants were all found innocent. When the foreman called out the final not guilty, Ponzi bowed his head and began to sob. Rose rushed to him and threw her arms around his neck. Together they wept for joy. Massachusetts officials dropped the cases against... uh, against his agents, but they were not finished with him. With the Boston Post egging them on, prosecutors immediately began making plans for the trial on the remaining 10 indictments. So he is sent back to prison, okay? He had served his first prison sentence of, a, I think it was like five years. He's still married to Rosa. And then in prison, he has like this major stomach problem. His ulcers are back. His ulcers are back and he gets ulcer surgery and he thinks he's going to die. Here's what he wrote to Rose. I do hope that I may live because as long as I have you, life seems sweet regardless of our present sorrows. I am leaving you forever, but I'm bringing with me the most wonderful recollection of your wonderful self. And I'm leaving you with kisses of my lips, which will close with your name firmly impressed upon them and with a smile of eternal love for you. (laughs) Whoa. She saved, Rose saved this letter among her treasures along with several dozen other letters he wrote to her over the years. Though Ponzi's health improved after the surgery, even more trouble lay ahead. Um... He had never gotten citizenship in the United States because he'd been to prison 8,000 times. And so oh, they decided... So he was in Canada, wasn't a citizen. <laughs> Back to the U.S. Not Nobody a citizen. Even asked if he was a citizen. No. <laughs> he, kept, he told people, my citizenship papers are still processing. <laughs> but he never fucking applied. That's what I say about my car registration. Yeah, I did the same thing. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm still waiting for it. So you also don't have your car registered here? This is not registered, no. I don't either. Yeah. I don't know how to do it. It's too late to ask. <laughs> I'm sure I could just like Google on the DMV and be like, how do I register my car? But you know, if I just told the cop, it's like, yeah, I'm waiting for it in the mail. <laughs> what are they going to do? Okay. Well, <laughs> they might do a, they might do a lot. Yeah. If your car is going to get arrested. It's going to be really. Yeah. I'm definitely afraid of getting my car arrested. Your car is going to represent itself in court. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay. So after that, um, he's, there's a, a ton of uh, drama around the uh, 
deportation trials. He's eventually deported back to Italy. Also, he and his mother is also dead, and he couldn't go back to Italy because he was in oh, he prison. He was in jail when she died. He then. was in jail when she died, and he claims that she didn't know anything about his financial troubles when she died. But it's like, come on, that woman knew. I wonder if she was proud of him when she died. Hmm. You know, he worked uh, all, so hard. All he ever tried to do was make her proud and shower yeah. her in yeah. the, the wealth and riches. And she fucking doxed him to his life. <laughs> she was just a nuisance, and she was like. I guess that one perspective is she was pushing him to be the best that he could be. But at a certain point, don't push, just celebrate him. <laughs> you know? I'm Team Imelda. <laughs> oh, really? Yes, I'm bravely Team Imelda. Okay, you sit on that side of the, the podcast. I'm on this yeah. side of the podcast. You're brave. You're giving voice to the voiceless because you know what? Most of this podcast, I just steamroll the shit out of my guests. So you know what? You're bringing forth different perspectives. I'm putting up a fist in solidarity for all podcast guests. Yeah. <laughs> all the podcast guests that have been steamrolled on this damn thing. <laughs> um, there's a bunch of hate articles that come out about Charles Ponzi to which he, re- <laughs> he responds in the most Charles Ponzi way pon- possible. Quote, I like you in spite of your jabs because you've given me an opportunity of spending an hour writing this letter. If you come over to Boston and I'm out, we'll have a damn good mind to buy you a drink. Two, if you can stand the gate, will you libate with me? Whoa. <laughs> he becomes a hater in prison. <laughs> Whoa. So then he is sent back to Italy because he's deported and Rose seeks a quiet divorce from him because she can't go to Italy like they don't have any money left and she can't get out of the United States and she's alone here. So she just decides to quietly live her life. But they write letters to each other for the rest of their lives. You think the divorce, that was like a financial thing. Yeah. Right? Like, absolutely. It, like she needs to find mm-hmm. someone else. Like a man. Yeah, to yeah. take care of her. Oh, and that- so she, her entire life had talked about wanting kids and like really wanted to have a family with Charles, but then winds up not having any kids, which it seemed, there's a different book that I read about it where she seemed, um, wistful about that fact and their letters are so beautiful their letters are so beautiful so then charles is scamming he goes to like rio de janeiro and like works as a like i don't know works somewhere there he's like 68 (laughs) at this point because the prison and then the deportation trial the everything it took a lot out of him yeah and the skin and the ulcers had contributed to a bunch of health problems later in his life. He went bl- like half blind by the time he's 67 and he's not making a ton of money. So he's in a Rio de Janeiro like charity hospital. Yeah, I guarantee in prison he wasn't taking enough vitamin D or probiotics. He was certainly not. No, no fish oil in prison. No. Yeah. And in his final letter to Rose, dictated by a hospital employee in Rio de Janeiro, he has this to say. I'm doing fairly well. And in fact, I'm getting better every day and I expect to be home for Christmas. It was a false hope, but that had always been his strength. Deep within the impoverished old man in the hospital bed remained the optimistic young dandy of 1920. He was still Ponzi, and he still believed the triumphant words he had used to end his memoirs. Life, hope, and courage are a combination which knows no defeat. Temporary setbacks? Perhaps. But utter and permanent defeat? Never. He died of a blood clot in the brain on January 17, 1949. He was, oh, I'm sorry, he was 66. He had $75 to his name, just enough for his burial. Rose would have liked to have had his body returned to Boston for a proper funeral, but she lacked the money to do so. Okay. Despite the divorce and heartaches, despite their dashed dreams and decades apart, this is how the book ends, the one thing Ponzi never lost was Rose's love. Why <laughs> <laughs> would Rose do that? So yeah, that's um, that's Charles Ponzi. <laughs> oh, wow. Was there ever a, an estimate on the amount of money he embed, like fifteen million dollars in eight months? Oh, wow, <laughs> wow. You know, I hear stuff like that, and then I'm I also am aware that like 
Elon Musk would make $56 million like nothing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the kind of world we live in nowadays is crazy. Yeah. But, it's um, loco. Charles Ponzi worked for the money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he worked hard for that money. He worked hard for the money. Mm-hmm. So that's all I had to say about the Charles Ponzi Security Exchange Company. That's actually like, how, oops, sorry. That's how I'm ending the story. That was a good, like, like thumpy. Yeah. Nice, <laughs> nice way to end it. <laughs> But yeah, that's it. How are we doing? Let oh, me get your incredible. emotional check in. I can't believe that, you know, that amount of emotion is lost to history. You hear Ponzi yeah. scheme, you hear like, oh, a liar, a scam, a con, a con artist, like a, like, like nobody really knows the type of person he was. But in order to be yeah. a con man, you have to be charming, charismatic. You have to be convincing. You yeah. have to be somebody, um, not unlike myself. <laughs> Hot and cool. You are hot and cool. Uh, and I think the hardest thing is that is his legacy. Yeah. That he is a scam artist. Mm-hmm. A swindler. But he wasn't really doing that. He was giving his money away. Yeah. And he was taking some for himself, but ultimately was trying to help the people around him. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many people he hurt, though. That's the thing. Like In the book, it describes... Oh, oh my God. I can't believe I forgot to mention this. Um so there's no such thing as federal insurance back then, right? Like FDIC stuff. No FDIC okay. stuff. But most everyone who had gotten in on the scam, most people were too embarrassed to like come out and say what sort of financial ruin they were in because they were like, this man was promising 50% return on investment in 45 days. That's embarrassing that I yeah. believed him. So most people don't come out and say exactly like how hard it hurt. But in the book, it said that there, you know, First of all, most people got repaid 37% of their investment with Charles Ponzi through the government, through some sort of thing. So uh, a cost or 30% increase? Like they, they, no, they start return? Uh, I'm sorry, uh, 37% of what they had initially invested. Oh, okay. So it yeah, wasn't like a yeah, full... Yeah. Uh, do you yeah, understand? Yeah. I understand. That's at cost then, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I didn't understand the word. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, so that's dispersed over 10 years, so it's not like people are like raking in their Charles Ponzi money, sure. but at least they get something back. Right. And they get paid like once a year in December or whatever. And I couldn't find what fucking day it was, but I like want to celebrate that day. Whatever. Anyways, it describes that most people were fine after. Okay. There's no reports of people jumping off buildings, lighting themselves on fire, being like, oh man, I can't believe. Whereas in the Zarasi one, that was a way different story. Oh, <laughs> people went fucking crazy. I bet. <laughs> but yeah, maybe it's because the book is pretty reverent, but I was not able to find... Um, gruesome Charles Ponzi fallout. There's just so much lost in his own identity too. I think what you said is so much emotion lost to history, lost to the sands of time, lost because the documentaries on him do not mention how hot he is and they're boring. <laughs> he He's a an icon. He's a financial icon. Yeah. And I'm acting up. Without him, I don't think we would have been aware of some of the other Ponzi mm. schemes, pyramid schemes that have come out since then. Yeah, it... it, it there's a thing in philosophy where something doesn't exist until you give a name to it. And even though it had been called robbing Peter to pay Paul, now it's a Ponzi scheme. Now it's a Ponzi you know? scheme. Now we know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, like even Bernie Madoff's thing. Like, it's a Ponzi it's scheme. similar. It's a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. But he didn't rely, the difference there, he didn't rely on being hot. He didn't, like <laughs> Bernie Madoff, I, you heard it here fo- first, folks. Bernie Madoff was a dweeb, <laughs> an ugly virgin. He invented the NASDAQ and... That's why people trusted him. So his grift was like, he was one of the founders of the NASDAQ index. Yeah. Right? He had this background, this experience. Mm -hmm. People trusted him with their money. Yeah. And he wasn't like offering. I don't know how much you know about Bernie Madoff. I don't. So, I mean, he was offering a similar return on investment to Ponzi was originally. Mm -hmm. And he was able to yield that. But at a certain point, 
no, the stamps the stamps got cut off, <laughs> right? So we it was couldn't... 2008, the financial crisis. That's how the stamps got cut off. Stamps got cut off in 2008, yeah. and then by 2012, I think that was when like the big Madoff shit hit the fan. Right? The, the Madoff shit hit the fan in 2008. Like, really? That's I thought what... it was like 2011, like when he like. I think that's when the trial was happening. Oh. I think it took a long time to get him to trial. Yeah, because he's so rich and ugly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You heard it here first. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that's fucking Charles Ponzi. We, I think we this might. Be, I think this is already the longest episode I've ever done. Oh, okay, <laughs> we've done for so long. What time is it? Oh, <laughs> listener, I hope this was as entertaining for you as it was for us. I had a great time doing this. Thank. Do you yeah. want to plug your stuff again before we? Yeah, sure. Out? So uh, I'm a cast member of the Annoyances Trigger Happy Team. Every Wednesday at 9:30, we have a performance of high concept, unique improv only at the Annoyance Theater. Wow. Little secret language that only the cast knows oh. uh, every single week um, I'm doing a musical coming up at the Annoyance Theater too yes. called uh, Malt Sydney World little anti-capitalist musical Love. I get to play along great minds uh, at the Annoyance Theater so Zach Hacker and Hales Reeves they wrote and directed with John, yeah. o- John o- Reyes directing it. it's gonna be amazing yeah. um, and I'm, I'm, I'm in a band nowadays too oh yeah, yeah so my band uh, is playing a show on June 19th uh, a little a little secret location. You can hit me up on Instagram, yes. and I'll send you the address. We're we're called Billy Joel Jr. Aww, yeah, that's so cute. Yeah, we don't play any Billy Joel songs, but okay. um, we like we like to homage to him. I'm in. Okay, okay. I'm right. there. Yeah, thanks for having Great. me, Christian. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, I loved what it. What a delight. Yeah. I, I cried three. What was the cry count? Three? Two, two for two. me. Yeah. Two cries. One time I was just like blown away by the love that they have for each other. <sighs> And then angry at Imelda. Yeah. Yeah. But. Okay. Well, that's incredible. it. Uh, follow Busted Business Bureau on social media if you're so inclined or don't. Uh, give the Lincoln Lodge your money or don't. Uh, oh, I have a Patreon. I never plug the stupid Patreon. Oh, my God. Yeah. You have a Patreon? No, nobody donates to it because I never plug it. That's <laughs> 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 all at Busted Biz Bureau. You know what? I'm going to donate something to your Patreon for like your highest level. I don't know. Whoever whoever um, gives to the highest level for the Patreon is going to win this secret uh, sculpture that has been in my car for, <gasps> for a little while. It's a secret sculpture. Uh, it is not, not a secret anymore. It's a shrunken croc. Whoa. It is a black shrunken croc that's the size at a men's size 11 that has shrunk <laughs> down to the size of smaller than my fist. Through heat? Through heat and cold co- uh, extraction and contraction. Oh. I'll be donating it to the Busted Business Bureau Patreon Thank service. Thank you. You heard it here first, folks. All right. That has been the episode. Go, have a great week. Uh, I will see you. I'll see you next time. <laughs> have fun doing whatever you do. Yay! Yay! Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>